I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13. We're going to be looking at a passage that may be one we don't typically spend a lot of time studying or looking at. And as we look at this, and we won't, of course, read all of the verses in this chapter. It is one of the more lengthy chapters in the in the Bible, as it has almost 60 verses. And it is, in a lot of ways, we could say a little bit tedious because of the details that are found in it. But what we have in here, in Leviticus chapter 13, is a part of the Law of Moses that contained several different tests to determine if one was infected with leprosy. The reason why this was important was because leprosy was a dangerous and contagious disease something that a lot of people have on their minds and are worried about today about a different type of disease but this was this was a disease that that was that had affected them and it would pop up from time to time and it would it is a terrible disease that would eat away at someone's body it was very easy for it to spread to others and so because of this it was important that this disease would be detected would be properly diagnosed, would be isolated, and then hopefully the person who was afflicted with it would be cured. Now as we look at this at Leviticus chapter 13 and we think about this leprosy and the tests that they would go through for this, there is a parallel that we can draw between this and the problem of sin. Sin, like leprosy, works like a disease, that it eats away at us, that it can be spread to others through the influence that, that we may have. And ultimately, Romans 6.23 says it leads to death. So both of these diseases, whether we're talking about leprosy here in Leviticus chapter 13, or we're talking about sin as it would apply to us today, these need to be addressed. And we're going to notice some parallels into this lesson. So Leviticus chapter 13 Beginning in verse 1, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When a man has on his skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, then he, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priest. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body, and at the hair of the infection, and if the hair of the infection is turned white, and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. As we think about how all of this started, how were they to deal with this disease that, again, they needed to identify, they needed to properly deal with it. Well, the first thing was that they were to seek the advice or the counsel of someone else. As we see that they were to be brought to Aaron or to one of his sons. They were to find out from someone else whether this was something that they needed to be concerned about, whether this was the disease or not. They were not to simply look at it themselves and say, well, I've got this mark on me, and then I don't think this is anything to be concerned about. They needed someone with an outside perspective. They could not just go by themselves and say, well, this is okay or this is not okay. 
They needed someone who provided unbiased insight to whatever this problem was, whatever this mark was, whether it was something to be concerned about or not. But then related to that is that they needed someone who was qualified to diagnose this. Notice that it says there in verses 2 and 3, they were to have someone else look at this, but not just anybody. They weren't to go to one of their family members or a friend of theirs and ask them to, hey, can you look at this spot that I have on, on my arm or on my face or whatever it is? Can you look at this and tell me what you think it is? They needed to find someone who was properly trained and qualified to inspect this and to diagnose this. And so they were to go to one of the priests, to Aaron or to one of his sons. They would have been trained to, in as we see here, as the law was given, and if you can read through Leviticus chapter 13 sometime on your own, and look at how detailed this is as far as what they were to look for, whether it was like this or like this, and how they were to determine whether this was leprosy or whether it was not. The priest had to know this. And the average person wouldn't necessarily have all of this information available to them to be able to make the determination. They would just be going off of their own best judgment or maybe some experience that they've had with, with this disease and say, well, that's, that's it or that's not it. Well, there's a lot of different ways this could manifest itself. So if they saw leprosy in one form, they may not recognize it in another form. So they couldn't just go to anyone. They had to go to someone who was qualified to diagnose this. And then once it was inspected, once the, whatever this mark or this spot was was inspected, they needed to confirm this diagnosis. We read at the end of verse 3 how the priest would pronounce him unclean, but it would not necessarily know, they would not necessarily know at that point if it was leprosy. There are many ways that people could have been unclean under the law of Moses. It didn't mean they had some type of disease, but it meant they were to, to be isolated for a time being. And it says there in verse 4, if the bright spot is white on the skin of the body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair on it has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate him who has the infection for seven days. The priest shall look at him on the seventh day, and if in his eyes the infection has not changed, and the infection has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him for seven more days. The priest shall look at him again on the seventh day, and if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, it is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. So, you have the initial diagnosis that yes, this looks like it's something to be concerned about, but then there had to be a confirmation. They weren't immediately cut off and put outside of the camp and made to, made to live as if they were a leper from the initial diagnosis. They needed to confirm this, confirm that it was in fact leprosy and not something else. And so they would isolate him for seven days the priest would look at again, isolate him for seven more days, and then if at that point it looked like it was getting better, then this was not leprosy, this was something else, but not something to be concerned about. So they would need to confirm this diagnosis, whether this was leprosy or not. And then once it was confirmed, then this disease would need to be dealt with, dealt with properly. 
Verses 7 and 8, it says, But if the scab spreads farther on the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again to the priest. And the priest shall look, and if the scab is spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. And then after going through all of the different ways that this could manifest itself in the verses that follow, you get to verses 45 and 46. It says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So this was not something to be ignored. This was something that needed to be taken seriously. Because this was, again, a dangerous disease that could spread to others. And so once there was a confirmation of this, then that, that needed to be dealt with. So again, we have an outline here in Leviticus chapter 13 how they were to deal with the problem of leprosy. Whenever there was some type of mark or something that could have been something that was an indicator of this disease, they needed to find someone else to look at it, to inspect it for them, not decide on their own whether this was a problem or not. But they had to go to someone who was qualified to determine whether this was something that was to be concerned that concerned about or not. They needed a qualified counselor or advisor to give them guidance. That would be one of the priests. They had to confirm this diagnosis to make sure that this is leprosy and not something else. And then they needed to deal with that and not just ignore it, thinking that, well, it's maybe it'll just go away or maybe it's not a big deal. It had to be dealt with. Now, as I said, we are drawing a parallel between this and the problem of sin. And when we look at the problem of sin, what I don't want us to, to assume from this is that in every detail, we're going to have a direct parallel between what we read in Leviticus chapter 13 and what we see about the problem of sin. There's not a direct and exact parallel in every point. However, the basic outline of what we saw in Leviticus chapter 13 is helpful for us to consider when we think about how we are to deal with the problem, or we might say the disease of sin. First thing is that we often need to seek advice from others. We can be biased. We can miss things or ignore things in our own life that we might be very quick to see some sin in someone else's life. But we are much slower to notice it in our own life. This was the problem for David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where you remember what happened in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel with the sin of David with Bathsheba and everything that he did to try to cover up that affair and, and what happened. We remember that about David. And it's very obvious when you read 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's very obvious for us what David did wrong. It's very clear that we can see that David did this that was wrong. He should not have been looking where he was looking. He should not have lusted after this woman. He should not have, have invited her in. He should not have, have committed the act of adultery with her, tried to cover it up, arranged to have her husband. All of those things that he did, it's very clear. We can look at that and say, well, obviously David was wrong. David clearly sinned. But David, 
he was blind to that. He ignored that. And the prophet Nathan came to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and told him the story of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man who had many flocks and the poor man who just had one little ewe lamb. And then the rich man, when he had a visitor come, rather than taking one of his sheep and preparing that to feed his visitor, is the one who came to him, he took the lamb from the poor man, even though it was all that he had, and David could immediately see how this man had sinned. Immediately saw that this man had done something that was wrong, that was unjust. And Nathan turned around in verse 7 told him, You are the man. You are the one who did this. David did not see this. Or he was just ignoring it. But he needed someone to tell him that you are the man. You are the one who had done this. In Galatians chapter 2, we read about how Paul had to confront Peter to his face because he was he stood condemned. He had been associating with the Gentiles, but then when some of the Jews came, he withdrew and would not associate with the Gentiles. And he was engaged in hypocrisy. Peter did not see that. Paul had to address it publicly and confront him about it. And here you have David, who is a man after God's own heart. And Peter, who was one of the apostles of Jesus, and yet those two individuals, they needed to have their sin pointed out to them. If two people like that need to have their sin pointed out to them because they ignored that, it's very easy for that same thing to happen to us, where we can ignore our sin and be blind to it. We need to seek advice from others. Over in Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, the Hebrew writer said there in verses 12 and 13, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Notice that he says there, in any one of you. Not just, well, some of you who are maybe newer Christians, or some of you who may not be as mature as others. He said, any one of you can develop this evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So he says in verse 13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin, he says, there is deceitful. It is deceptive. And so we may miss the sin that is in our life and not see it and ignore it. We need to seek advice from others. But just like they had to go to the priest and not just anyone, we need qualified counselors. We should not expect that those who are in the world, non-Christians, or even some of our brethren who are more worldly-minded Christians, we should not expect that, well, they're going to be qualified to, to find my sin and, and correct me. Sometimes that may be the case, if it's something that's more obvious. But we should not expect that we're going to be able to go to them just someone we know who is not a Christian, who is not trained in what the Scriptures say, or a fellow Christian who, because of weakness or, or whatever it might be, has not demonstrated spiritual maturity where they're putting Christ first in everything. That type of person is not the one that, that we need to have as our counselor or advisor in this. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and verse 14, that if the blind lead the blind, both are going to fall into the pit. 
And so if someone is not following God's law, and then we're going to expect that that person is going to help us follow God's law better, then we're just setting ourselves up for another fall. We need people who have fellow Christians, who have knowledge, knowledge of the Word of God, where they understand it, understand what it says. They have wisdom where they have demonstrated the ability to take the Word of God and apply it in different situations in life. That through their experiences they have shown that, that they know how to handle certain things according to the principles that are found in the Word of God. We need to find those with integrity who have shown that they will act in a way that is morally upright and do what is right in different situations. God expects us to receive help from our brethren. And we look at the people in the old law who they were to go to the priest. The parallel here does not mean that we have to go to a preacher or an elder. We can go to ones like that. But really this is just anyone who is a conscientious and mature Christian who is committed to following the Lord. We can receive help from them. We already read in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, how we are to encourage one another day after day so that we will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The Hebrew writer would also say in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, to let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That one of the reasons why we come together is to encourage one another. We are to help one another. And if someone falls into sin, or if we have departed and gone into sin, maybe we haven't completely abandoned the Lord, but maybe we're ignoring the sin that is in our life or are blind to it. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. James says, My brethren, if any of you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. It also means that if we are in that position and someone turns us back, same thing would be true. And so we need to we need to have those who will be willing to help direct us back on the right path. We need to make sure that we're following finding the right people to do this. Our fellow Christians, those who are committed to following God, we need those types of people helping us. Then when we receive help, we need to evaluate the advice that, that we receive. When there was a diagnosis that it looked like this spot that someone had was leprosy, well, they needed to confirm that. When we receive counsel or advice that, there, well, there's this in your life, that you're doing this, but that's wrong, you need to give that up, or you're neglecting this over here and you need to start or get back to doing that, because you are neglecting to do the do what God expects you to do. Whatever it is, whether it's starting to do something we're neglecting or stopping doing something that we shouldn't be doing, we need to evaluate that advice that we receive. Because it is possible that what someone points out is not something that really needs to be addressed. It's possible that it whatever it is that they that they see is not a matter of sin. Because we need to understand that the standard that we are following is still the Word of God. 
Jesus said in John 12 and verse 48, the word that I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. Not what some fellow Christians had to say. Not even what, well, this is what the elders said. Well, what the elders say is not going to judge us in the last day. Or what the preacher said is not going to judge us in the last day. Or this person that I've always looked up to as, as a mature Christian, that person's not going to judge us in the last day. It is the words of Jesus who will judge us. And so we need to evaluate whatever advice that we, we receive. If we're finding the right advisors or counselors, then most of the time that will be good advice. It will be something that we need to, we need to implement, whether it's, as I said, starting something we should be doing or stopping something we shouldn't be doing. But we do need to evaluate. We do need to check it according to the Scriptures. Paul said over in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, he, he talked about how we need to be careful not to just follow any command of men because it seems to them like it makes good sense. Colossians 2 and verse 20 says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men? So notice what he says here, that you have died with Christ, and so you don't have an obligation to submit to these decrees, these laws, that he says are in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. We follow the commandments and teachings of Christ. And so if there's something else that is beyond that, well, that's not something we're obligated to follow. Notice what he says in verse 23. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They have the appearance of wisdom. This is not someone who is just maliciously trying to boss people around and say, well, you have to do this and you have to do that. And they just want everyone to do things their way. This has the appearance of wisdom. It appears like it makes sense. We are talking, talking to my father-in-law yesterday and, and he brought up the example of Matthew chapter 15 with the scribes and the Pharisees and they confronted Jesus about his disciples and why his disciples weren't washing hands before they ate bread. Doesn't it make sense for us to wash our hands before we, before we eat or before we do something like that? Seems like it makes sense. But Jesus rebuked them and says, you are binding on them a commandment or a tradition of men. By doing that, you're rendering your own worship to God to be in vain. You are invalidating the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. Does it make sense to us? Does it have the appearance of wisdom that we are to wash our hands before we eat? Well, sure. There's nothing wrong with doing that. What is wrong is when we make something that seems to make sense into a religious requirement and say, well, that person's sinning if they don't wash their hands before they eat bread, which is what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. We need to evaluate the advice that we have. Someone counsels us, say, well, you need to start doing this that you've been neglecting, or you need to stop doing this. We need to see, is that counsel from the Word of God, or is it simply the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. And if that's the case, 
then we don't have an obligation to do something that is beyond what God instructs us to do. So we have to, when we receive this advice, receive this counsel, and again, most of the time, if we have the right people advising us, then most of the time the advice that they give is going to be helpful and right and in harmony with the Word of God. But we are responsible for ourselves. We will stand as individuals, as 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, we will stand before the Lord in judgment to give an account for what we have done. And at that point, we can't say that, well, so-and-so told me I ought to be doing this. The standard is not what so-and-so said. The standard is what the Word of God says. You remember the story of 1 Kings chapter 13. We won't take time to read it now, but, but if you haven't read that, that account in a while, I encourage you to do that. 1 Kings chapter 13. You have a young prophet who was told by God to return to his home after prophesying and not to stop and not to, not to delay. And then an older prophet came and invited him in and said, Well, God told me you are to do this. And the younger prophet believed him, even though God had told him otherwise. And he was condemned. He was punished. He was, he was killed on his way home as a punishment for his sin. Now that older prophet who lied to him, he'll be held accountable for that. But the younger prophet who listened to him, he paid that penalty for listening to him. He couldn't say that, well, this older prophet told me this. So, well, he, he, I figured he knew better, and so I just listened to what he said. No, he faced the punishment from God because he disobeyed God by listening to this other prophet. We need to make sure that we are following what God's Word says, not what someone else has said. And then finally, when we have sin in our life, we need to deal with that sin. Not to ignore it, not to think that it's not a big deal. We need to repent of that sin, turn away from it, and seek God's forgiveness. For those who are Christians, we have in Acts 8 and verse 22, Simon, what he was told to do, repent and pray that you may be forgiven. We are not to remain in sin, figuring that is that it is really not a big deal or not an issue. Romans chapter 6, Paul had to address this idea that some of the brethren in Rome had that, well, we can continue in sin because God's grace is just going to cover our sin. And so the more we sin, the more God is just going to extend His grace to us Paul said in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do not remain in sin. Once we, have, once we realize that, okay, we have this sin in our life, we're not to remain in that sin. We're not to continue in it. We're to give it up. And also, we could look at this not just in direct and blatant sin, but also just a state of spiritual immaturity where we haven't progressed or grown and matured to the point that God wants us to. We are not to be content to remain in that immature state in our spiritual life. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, the Hebrew writer rebuked these brethren for this spiritual immaturity. He says there in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. You should have grown. You should have progressed. That Yes, 
you there's a time where we are where we need the basic elementary principles of the word taught to us we need to grow we need uh, to be as newborn babies as first Tim or first Peter 2 talks about who long for the pure milk of the word that we can grow by it we need that but we are expected to progress we are expected to grow stronger and not remain in that state of spiritual immaturity we have to instead grow and mature as he said in chapter 6 and verse 1 of Hebrews let us press on to maturity continue to grow and continue to progress not remain in sin not remain in a state of relative weakness where we are immature in the faith we need to grow from that and progress from that so as we think about these parallels between leprosy and that disease and how they dealt with it and the problem of sin that exists today leprosy had to be taken seriously it had to be handled properly and the same is true of our sin today yes it needs to be taken seriously we need to handle it properly we need help from our fellow Christians we need guidance from the Word of God and we need to each have the determination that we are going to put away sin from our life. So we need those, those things, those tools, the, our help, the other, other Christians to help us, the Word of God to guide us, and the free will that God has given us to make the decision that we are going to do what is right and not continue to do what is wrong. Without those things, then we're going to remain spiritually we're going to remain sick with this disease of sin but if we have those things our brethren to help us the word of God to guide us and the determination on our part to do the will of God we have those things we could be spiritually healthy as we serve the Lord And so as we close the lesson I want to encourage each one of us to make sure that we are spiritually healthy that we are not allowing sin to go unnoticed or just to remain in our life as we ignore it thinking that it's not a big deal. We need to deal with the problem of sin. And we talked about how we do that as a Christian. We repent of that and we pray and ask God for forgiveness, but what if someone is not a Christian? Well, scriptures say that if we are not one is not a Christian, that that person can be forgiven of sins if they believe that Jesus is the Christ repent of their sins, confess their faith, and baptized into Christ, that person can also be forgiven of all of their sins. And so the invitation is open to anyone who needs to make things right with the Lord, to obey the gospel by putting on Christ in baptism, or to, as a Christian, make corrections to be right once again with the Lord. And if you are subject to the invitation, if you need to make corrections, need to make changes, need help from the brethren here, we're more than happy to help you. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.